Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey, 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 welcome to Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. And before we dig in, thank you so, so much for joining me on this episode. And thanks as ever for giving up your time and and listening to the show. It does mean a heck of a lot. Now, the issue that we're going to challenge today is how to succeed and make a living out of your passion, but very specifically, how to get the desired clients for your business and actually build that business around those clients. We've all done work that we don't want to do. We've all commissioned, been commissioned to do work that we're not interested in. We've underpriced. And frankly, it just doesn't get us going. But we didn't set up in business for that, did we? No one ever says, do you know what? Mom, I'm going to set up a business and I'm going to hate it. No one says that. So let's focus today on challenging the issue of getting the desired clients and building your business around those. And joining me today is someone that has very successfully managed to do that It's someone who has got a real, real creative angle on things. And I'm really looking forward to digging into this. Fantastic illustrator and art director, Mr. Ben Tallon, joins me today. Welcome, sir. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good, sir. Thank you. Thank you. It's... uh, we don't get too many creatives on the show, actually. I actually hate the word creatives. I apologize. But we don't get too many people that are all out creative individuals. So before we dig into that, what is it you do, Ben? Well, I create illustrations for uh, quite a wide range of disciplines now. So anything from advertising to uh, working with musicians, music videos, uh, editorial, do a lot of newspaper and magazine work. And uh, it goes, the list goes on, to be honest. I essentially draw and make pictures um, all by hand, but created using Photoshop. And yeah, it, it sits in a whole, a whole realm of, of uh, different, different areas, really. That's amazing. And, and and I know we were speaking in the pre-interview chatter about where you're based and just looking at the info that, that was sent in uh, for the interview. You've got some fantastic clients. Let's just run through a couple of those if it's, if it's prudent to do so. Who do you actually work with just to drive this point home that you can get the best clients? Well, to, to name a few recognizable clients, I work with Guardian quite often, uh, Channel 4, uh, World Wrestling Entertainment, uh, and I work with a whole range of sporting clients from uh, the Rugby Football League, Rugby Football Union, Premier League, Arsenal, um, Manchester City, to name a few. And um, I think it goes on really. It's uh, you know British Dental Association. It's a kind of a crazy broad range. That's amazing. There's some really fantastic names in there. And I want to I want to kind of dig into that a little later on. But let's just dial it back. Where where did you start? Where did this journey begin? You know, it's, you can't dive straight into getting these amazing clients. So let's talk about where you came from. What was the beginning of that journey for you? It's very much, it came very much as, uh, you know, like any kid that kind of draws, to be honest, you know, and I think every kid goes through that process, but, you know, I think my parents spotted that I, I really kind of loved just creating something from nothing. And, you know, it starts with wax crayons, doesn't it? And, um, <laughs> you know, that's certainly the case for me, you know, just filling sketchbooks on rainy days as a kid. I think, um, you know, I sometimes think I benefited from a kind of pre-digital age, whereas, you know, I wasn't sat on computers all day. So if I wasn't out playing football in Yorkshire, where I'm from, it was um, it was drawing. So that was very much its roots. And luckily for me, my uh, my family were always quite supportive of that. And, they, you know, they never put me under any pressure to do it, but they very much supported, you know, that when I showed a natural instinct to do it. 
Um, and, you know, it's, I kind of followed the path right through. Um, you know, obviously it's not that simple, but that's that's very much the roots of it. It's really interesting that I love the the idea that you've stuck to your guns on that one, and and especially being a freelancer, that you know that comes with a large degree of uncertainty. So how did how did that manifest? Were you were you comfortable being freelance? Have you gone through the kind of career path? Did you leave a corporate environment to become freelance, or have you just always done that? It's interesting, really. I um, I left education in two thousand and six with a degree from UCLan in Preston, University of Central Lancashire, uh, with an illustration degree. So I um, I left school and I followed graphic design into college and kind of stumbled my way there. And luckily I had the right tutors who would guide me towards the illustration side of things, which if I'm honest, I didn't actually know what the, what the thing meant at the time. I didn't know what any of it meant, graphic design, fine art, illustration. It's just, you know, words in a, in a prospectus to me. But um, I kind of worked my way through university with that degree and you get this real reality check when you, you suddenly realize you're going into an industry where it is freelance it's you know there's you do get very rare full-time positions in, as an illustrator but you tend to be a tool for someone else's ideas and that's not why, why I got into this business so I worked for two years full-time after graduating in a, in a wide range of jobs admin I worked for Preston City Council uh, all sorts of things that you know just bill payers essentially whilst I built up a portfolio and actually got my head around how my business worked and how I could actually set up um, so from that point on, yeah, I kind of went part-time uh, and then eventually full-time. And, you know, you kind of really are just out in the cold and it's it's almost, you know, it's sink or swim to a degree. And, um, you know, I, I just, I realized what I could offer clients and started to actually knock on doors and let people know that I existed. That's a massive thing, just letting people know that you're out there because as a freelancer, and especially someone that's running a business that is is, is completely completely hinged on you you know you end up doing everything don't you and sometimes you forget to actually tell people listen guys i'm i'm here i'm i'm good for this stuff so what challenges did you face being a creative guy did you have to step out of your comfort zone and actually drive the sales forward how did that start to work uh, very i think very much so yeah it's not one benefit that i had and i always cite this as being the product of growing up in a small town Keithley in my case, where I'm from in West Yorkshire, you grow up and you, and you knock around with a lot of northern lads and, and you kind of have to learn to talk for yourself. And that's a skill that I owned, you know, I started to see the value of around this time when I went freelance because, you know, suddenly you realize that actually most creatives, just like you said about the word creative, it's, I think it's the other way around with, with the majority of creatives and actually like business comes across as like salt to a slug. You know, the, that word business management, I, I think, you know, people's, uh, I don't know if I can say this, but people's balls shrivel. <laughs> that, you're right you're yeah, right that, men that mention and, and but I never felt that way I, I think I understood you know right from let's say late on in my first year at uni that essentially I was going out there as a one-man business and that was the only way it was going to work for me so it was more patience was one of the biggest assets because you know I, I was at the bottom of my overdraft when I left massive student loan on my shoulders um no website no real way of paying to promote my work so i know i've got this skill but it's like how do you get that out to the wider world which is a huge challenge that i think everyone faces and you know that i think i think um you know i started scratching my head for quite a while which is why it took me two years to get going but eventually i you know with the support of a few other people who would would highlight the strengths of my work i started to realize that actually i had this quite distinct drawing style that was a, a byproduct of my personality and um I just pushed that to the nth degree and built this portfolio. And, um, you know, it's like, okay, now what? So the challenge is, you know, you've got to get yourself online. You've got to get that portfolio set up. I didn't have any web design skills, so it's right. Where do you start with that? 
So, you know, I, I actually built a website on my own using a Dreamweaver for Dummies book, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone. It's, 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 it's nuts. It's a, it's a crazy process to go through. But I actually did it. I was quite fired up by this point, quite determined to actually leave myself out of these full-time jobs that I didn't have any real love for. And, um, you know, suddenly I produced a really bad batch of postcards and, and started to send out links to this site. And, it's you know, you don't have any confidence at that point. Nobody does. I, I don't think it that's restricted to the creative industries either. I think whatever field you go into, you know that you're up against some stiff, more established, you know, better off competition. And, um, you know, those first few months were really quite tasking. But I think, like I said, going back to that personality, I used that, you know, use the dark humor of things to kind of blog and actually document this stuff whilst I did it and found other avenues to channel it. And, um, you know, lo and behold, after a while, you get those first few clients and, so the lining start to appear and you think, okay, that's a massive buzz to get. I think to get that first gig off your own back, you know, you you start to feel like a businessman as opposed to just a creative and you think, okay, I'm actually selling a product to someone now and making some money. And, you know, that from that point on, I never never really looked back. Yeah, again, it's, it's a patience game, but it really, um, you know, that really lit a fire under me. Uh, as someone who runs a design agency, I can completely agree with that. We've got people that are business. We've got people that are creative. I'm on the business side. I am not. I'm not a creative guy when it comes to anything graphical. And it constantly amazes me when someone like yourself, Ben, can actually put these two worlds together and kind of drag the work out of people, you know, get into places on the strength of a fantastic portfolio and then actually sell that work to people. It mm. constantly amazes me because I find it so alien because my brain is such a logical beast that <laughs> you can f tread that line so fine yet so thoroughly. It's amazing. It's such an accolade to be able to do that. And what I'd like to just dig into a little bit further is you mentioned something about confidence there. You know, you said that right in the early days, no one really has confidence. And I get that. I get we've all done the dodgy postcards. We've all got, I mean, my first website was a Dreamweaver website as well, which you're right. Bloody hell, man, that's tough. <laughs> it's just awful. And But you're so kind of proud of it when it launches, but then you realize very quickly, oh, this is not so hot. And the confidence is a real challenge. So when did it really start to click for you? Was it when you got the first clients? Was it when, you know, when you stepped outside the friends and the family peer group? You know, what components came together to really start to give you the confidence that enabled you to get to BBC, WWE, and so on. Well, the, the the big one right at the beginning was getting a shared workspace. Um, I, I I preach that to a lot of people, and it's a hugely individual decision that, that hinges on the personality. But for me, I'm a, I'm a people person, and you know, when you go through university, I, I loved all that. And suddenly, you've, you know, you've got this seven year worth of tutorial tutorial input from from the college lecturers and then bang it's gone you're really on your own you're in a house with two other people and a lot of those people have gone back to their hometowns moved to london or whatever and um it was only after six months of sitting literally at a garden table in my bedroom that i bought from b&q um and called it a studio that i just i had i was struggling i my work had gone backwards in a big way and one mate rang me up one day and he said look we found this garage space up uh, up near Moor Park in Preston, which is you know where I studied. And he said it's going to cost us forty quid a month between five of us. Are you up for it? And I just I needed something at that point. It was failing miserably, so I took on that studio. And you know, almost overnight, you you all sitting there and you put the kettle on. It's like this this is exhilarating. This is brilliant. These are five other other people who who've graduated at the same time as me, all in various creative disciplines. And this is really exciting. It feels a bit more real. And, you know, all you've got is crummy desk. It's, you feel like you've got a little bit of an office going on and, and suddenly, you know, the portfolio sits on it and it looks looks a bit more legitimate. 
so it was from that point forward that I actually started to work more prolifically and, and you know, that separation between work and home was absolutely pivotal. And I would go in there on the evenings and the weekends and, and put in almost, you know, I, I was working full-time hours, but I was going and putting full-time hours in around those hours in what I wanted to do to try and get that off the ground as quick as possible. So that was a real catalyst. And, um, you know, quite soon after that, I'd, I'd thrown together a portfolio that looking back now, as, as always, is horrid. But that was the portfolio that actually got me assigned to my agency, which I'm still with. And it got me my first few clients. And I certainly believe in, in confidence attracting people in a perverse way. You know, I suddenly started to believe that this might, you know, I might be able to get that first commission. I might be able to get my foot in the door. And, and you know, and you, I think your, your eyes are a little bit open to those opportunities uh, on that basis. And you know, those conversations with the other people sharing the studio, you know, you're all in a similar place. You're all excited and, and uh, it just, everyone's feeding off one another. Um, and then, you know, just little things along the way, like the, the first interest I got from clients was actually from uh, When Saturday Comes, which is a football magazine. And I'm a big football fan and it hadn't yet occurred to me at this point that those interests, you know, the things that I'm going home in the evening and doing for pleasure you know, wait a minute, maybe there's, maybe there's something in that. Maybe, maybe I don't have to be sending works out to pregnancy magazines and dogs today magazine, which, you know, I did send work out to all those clients. And, um, you know, uh, when Saturday comes, came back and said, Oh, you know, this is cool. I, you know, uh, have you worked for anyone else, which I hadn't. And that was always going to be a catch 22 scenario. But I think the fact that I was sending these weekly topical illustrations out to that magazine and going, look, you know, I can do this. I've, I've not got the clients, but I'm fresh out of uni, but I can certainly do a job for you guys. And they were the first people to take a gamble on me and, um, you know, not not only to get that first commission, but to get a first commission for a magazine that I actively read for pleasure and on a subject that I'm quite obsessed with to this day. Wow. You know, that, that really, um, that really turned things on and suddenly it's like, okay, I get it. You know, use what you know, use who you are and, you know, things will fall into place a lot faster. That is such a vital lesson. It's something that I think so many people struggle with, just having the confidence to be yourself and let in your own voice shine out through whatever medium that you happen to be fantastic at, you know, actually being you. You mentioned earlier about your own illustration style being heavily influenced by your own personality. And especially in business, when you let the business side of your brain take over, sometimes it can pull you back, can't it? It can say, well, is this really what people want? Should I go a little bit more, let's say for want of a better word, should I go more mainstream? Should I do what everyone else is doing? And I love that you stuck to your guns on that. And what I also love is the idea that you just persisted. You just did the work. You did the topical illustrations and you sent it to the people that you wanted to work with. Sounds so simple. Barely yeah. anyone does it though. That, that's it. I mean, hours of, you know, I'm talking hours spent on all these things for no money, for no obvious initial gain up front. And, and that takes faith to actually stick at that and do it. You know, I'm, I'm often writing articles about the, you know, the, degrading effects on the creative industries or any any industry for that matter for working for free um but there's a difference and there's a place to do it and you know i, I had no active clients so doing this stuff and putting the hours in i knew that was the only way it was going to happen and you have to trust that it's going to happen because what else are you going to do um but you know um you can't overlook like you say using channeling your personality into your style because you know that's that's what any you know you show me any band any comedian uh what, whatever it is whatever ever art form right a theater the, i think the things that people connect with are the things that have real personality and real soul and um what happened not too long after getting the when saturday's client i ended up getting um getting the guardian sport on board which which still is one of my biggest clients and that changed everything because suddenly the people who kind of ignored or just put me on file were really listening and not 
too long after that. The jobs that actually got me going full time were, were quite corporate jobs. Um, I was doing work, you know, these sort of corporate portraits of businessmen for magazines and they were quite well paid. So suddenly it's like, okay, I've done this stuff that I love and, and it's, it's moderately paid. And here's this stuff that's actually got me full time. Do I roll that out throughout my portfolio and go down the money route? And it wasn't that simple of a decision, but looking back, if I'd followed that route, you know, it would have really watered down what I was trying to do. And inevitably, I don't think I'd be enjoying a lot of the jobs as much as I do right now. So it was it was a real kind of bold decision to actually let's hold off a little bit and really push this organic style that's starting to flow. And, um, you know, it took real time to start attracting the jobs that I knew that it could, but eventually, and especially now, um, I would say that I love eight out of 10 jobs, like nine out of 10 jobs. There's only one in a blue moon now that I think, okay, it's not the best, but we'll do it because it's well paid. Um, and, you know, that would, I think it, it, the faith paid off in the end in that respect. Uh, and and that's, that is a path that all of the best people in their own specific industry seem to follow. You know, they do forgo that the instant payday, if you like, and they work on stuff that, I mean, you were, sort of getting moderately paid for the work that you love, which I think is is quite a luxury. In some cases, people just aren't getting paid for such a long time and they're still persisting at that. And I think it's such an admirable thing to do. Just persist doing what you love because you know that the payday will come later. And ultimately, one, it's going to be much more satisfying. And being honest, financially, it's probably going to be better because people by that time have figured out where you fit. They've figured out what you're good at and why mm-hmm. they should use you, when you should use you. I mean, it's... It's just a much better, much more rounded life, isn't it? You couldn't have you couldn't have put it any better. That's yeah, you've you've nailed it there around there. It's um that's I, I I think it's a subconscious thing because you know when when you've got all those confusing emotions like doubt, self doubt, and um, is this ever going to happen? You know, there's always little backward steps, but invariably now what's you know my, I'm real I'm really kind of attracting. Um, a core audience of people who really love my work, and um, and that's such an honour for me. It's it's because I've always drawn like this, and, and you know the sense of humour, all these things that are, that have made me as a person are, are now really coming through in this style. I mean, it's I've been doing this full time for seven years now, and I only now do I feel like I've actually got a little bit of a vision moving forward that I'm working towards. It's all been quite haphazard so far, and there was method to the madness, but I think. Now I now I get it. Now I get what people see in, in the Ben Talon brand that I've that I've been building. And and suddenly I do see this from a business angle and it's like, okay, I get this. You know, it's if there's that, you know, if there's that ad campaign out there that needs to speak to a younger audience, hopefully I'm in that top percentage of people that are going to be looked at for that. And now, you know, the the range of clients that I'm getting on board and the regularity of clients are reflecting that. And um, you know, it's it's the best feeling to know that you've kind of held out for that, and that's what's become of it. So now, the, you know, the next challenge is how far can I push this, and just how far do I want to go? Now it's a kind of I've got the luxury of thinking, okay, what do I turn down? Which is a new a new experience, really. And um, you know, it's horrible having to say no to anything when you you know when you freelance. But I, I think it's about what you turn down as much as what you take on when you get to this stage. I. I- completely agree with that. I think that is such an important lesson for everyone to learn is when to say no, but more importantly, how to say no, that you see that you don't want to be burning any bridges. But if you're in such a position that you can choose the work, I mean, that is the ultimate for any freelancer, any entrepreneur, any small business owner. That's why we do it. That's why we get out of bed and drag our asses around at 6am on a morning trying to get into a studio. That's why we do it. It's not for the payday overall. It's because we love what we're doing. And I think that that is such an important lesson, being able to turn down the work that we don't enjoy and being able to get to that point with some confidence is just, I mean, that's the mark of success for me. So congratulations. I think that's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, it's great. And I've been very lucky. I mean, 
One of the biggest things that I, I push when we talk about these kind of topics is it's just people. And, it, you know, people say people's skills and it aids that, but it's just, I just think it's the ability to, to work with a wide range of people. And it, it doesn't always come easy for a lot of creatives because, you know, I, I work on a site. I have a studio where there's 450 other creatives, uh, which is a, a, a large number. And I chat to a lot of those guys and then they do kind of embody that tip, that's really stereotypical artist of, I just want to lock myself in my studio, create my work, and hopefully someone will come and find me. I realized quite quickly that certainly in a commercial world, like in illustration and design, that's not going to happen. And I really had to go out there and find a niche. Um, but the people along the way, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet art directors and, and people who've got not always more experience, sometimes less experience, but people who are willing to share their story and actually pass things down. And um, that's really accelerated the process. And you learn so much. And, you know, the whole process of taking my work from a, a magazine page into kind of film and working on set designs and uh, with sports personalities is it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't have happened if I hadn't met those people along the way and they hadn't suggested all those things. Um, so, you know, like I say, getting, getting it to a position, I've got a lot of people to, to thank for that. But also, you know, you look, there's so many 50-50 pivotal decisions when you look back. And um, and I think it is sometimes it's that stepping to one side and, and not taking, as you said, the immediate pay. You know, I, I brought a, my first book out recently, which is not something that was ever on the agenda. It was very much an instinctive decision and a, and a byproduct of growing angry with, you know, at the time, a lack of work in freelancing. And I set up a blog explicitly to rant on this blog, um, which is quite funny to me now looking back. But when I calmed down and actually started to refine this writing, I thought, hang on, there's, you know, someone's listening. The reason we're doing this podcast tonight is because there's so many people in that boat that, that want to just listen to other people's experiences. So I think, you know, you, you do, you have to listen to the people that, um, that surround you and uh, are willing to give advice. It's, it's golden, whether it's criticism or praise. So I think it's, uh, you've got to listen. You know, the, the, the moment you stop, uh, is when you stop learning. And do you know the one thing that, that I always find is that you never know what will connect things together. So what I mean by that is that a lot of people say to me, what's your number one tip sort of for business, generally for business, which is such a broad sweeping statement. And typically my, my piece of advice is give everyone the time of day because you have absolutely no idea where that will lead. And that kind of was brought to the front of my mind with everything that you were saying then in that, You've got no idea that if I speak to this person and I treat them like a person and I treat them with respect and I bring my own sense of, of humor, I bring my own personality into this conversation, you have no idea, one, what it will do with those guys, you know, will it resonate with them? And two, what they can give to you, what you can give to them, how big that relationship can be. And that, like you said, the 50-50 pivotal decisions, they sometimes just hinge on right place, right time, had a good laugh with someone, happened to bump into someone in a lift. And you can't, you just can't account for that, can you? You can't and you have to be really open to it. Um, and, you know, it's it's quite funny to me because I am, I, it's, I don't know, three or four years ago now I started to get, I started to get, um, you know, emails of students and this is like the biggest compliment you know that students would get in touch and ask me advice and some of them said look we're writing essays we're actually studying your work and that blew my mind at the time um still does but these people you know i i always said that if anyone ever got in touch with me like that just like i used to get in touch with illustrators because i got knocked back by a lot of people i didn't even get replies off a lot and you know i was quite angry at the time but looking back you think okay they're probably just busy guys but if i'm ever in those shoes i'm going to i'm going to answer every single one even if it's just a few lines to help out and and i did and you know i made friendships with a lot of those people and it is quite funny because now that you know bringing this bringing this debut book out which is kind of detailing all the experiences of getting started in, in creative business um 
those people have been crucial to me. You know, these guys are just graduating and they know 40 people on all their courses. And a lot of the book sales are coming through their networks, you know, and it's like, it, it just goes to show if I'd knocked them back or not even knocked them back, but just being, just being a dick with them, then, um, you know, those things don't happen. And, and going, going the other direction, I, you know, I've got friends who've been in industry 30 years um, Dave Hilton, who wrote my foreword for the book, is the creative director at WWE in New York. Absolutely lovely bloke. He's from Bolton originally, which I, I couldn't have foreseen. And that Northern English connection, he was a football fan. It brought us a, a, quite a quick friendship. And he ended up getting me my dream client for you know one of the biggest corporations in the world. And not just that, but you know we go out for beers regularly. I ask him how his family is doing out of genuine interest. And Lo and behold, I get you know calls off his friends at various magazines in New York saying, "Hey, how's it going?" Dave said, "I should use you for this lettering that I need doing or this illustration." Said you're good. Uh, how much would you charge? And and you know suddenly I've got this network in New York now, and it's not like you were uh, you know just switch on a button and go, "I'm going to be all right with him." It's just I think I just enjoy the people side of it, and and the more that I do it, the more that I realise just how important that is. The, the the people side and actually taking a genuine genuine interest in people. You can't buy that. That's something that people go on about business networking, they're going about how to market and so on and so forth. But once you've got someone, you've got a conversation with someone actually proactively taking an interest and actually like really genuinely giving a shit about what's going on in the lives that that's just the best marketing you can do. Oh, I completely agree. And I think people realize it, you know, it's, um, it's the same with me. I, I love working for the guys who, you know, ask me, how I'm a, even if it's just something as simple as asking how your weekend was, you know, if you've had a good weekend, you want to tell someone about it. And, um, I think it, it just stretches a long way. And, um, you know, it's certainly, it's, it certainly made up, uh, you know, the bridge between me coming from a small working class town where it's not the norm to go and to go and try and be an artist and and pursue that path it's quite you know it's a lot of a lot of people have trades and that tends to be the way in, in the certainly where i grew up um you know and it's that personality and that ability to talk to people that actually transcends that and uh, you know they were the most important connections with people who traveled around people who'd seen a bit more of the world and could pass that on to me and um it is it's it's one of the biggest assets you'll have in, in any business for me yeah I, I get that and i think you learn to be I don't mean this to sound condescending to anyone that's not in business, but I think you you learn to be a person much quicker when you're forced to be a person, if that makes sense. When you're thrown into a room of people, you know, you talk about walking into the WWE or you walk into the BBC or the Guardian. These are people that are really highly revered. You know, they actually command respect and you're talking to them on a peer-to-peer level. You're talking to them just as people in a room. And I think that that's when you really learn to become a person. It's amazing, really. You do. You quite quickly realise that um, that everyone's just doing a job, and everyone needs their life made that little bit easier. And you know, the Guardian, for example, were put on a pedestal when we were at university because at the time they were using upwards of thirty illustrations in just in the Saturday newspaper. And this was around two thousand and eight when I got started. And um, so when I you know got invited down for a coffee after calling up the creative director there this is like wow you know this is the guy who's overseeing the design direction of the entire newspaper it's a big fish in my industry so i was i was pretty nervous um turning up for that meeting but he was a lovely guy i was quite quickly put at ease and and suddenly you think hang on this guy's not too dissimilar to me he's, he's just got a job to do and you know hang on i can make his life a little bit easier you know I'm, I'm an asset to him just like he's an asset to me and i think suddenly you realize that that you know it doesn't matter ceo or whatever title you want to put on someone I think they're just human beings at the end of the day and you have to treat them accordingly and respond to individual personalities. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree with that. It's one of the biggest lessons that I learned just from doing the show is that you can reach out to pretty much anyone 
And if you're a genuine person and you're actually pretty decent with people, people are not going to be dicks with you. You just have to command that kind of mutual respect and, and people actually care, you know, they want to get involved. So I think that's amazing. And actually that's, that segues nicely into the actionable tips section of the show. So for people that are out there, perhaps thinking about going freelance or they are perhaps freelance and things aren't quite going as well as they wanted. Let's look at three actionable tips to help these guys win their dream clients. So Ben, I know you've put some time into uh, into conjuring these actionable tips. So let's dig into actionable tip number one. So what have you got for people? Well, I'm going to say, um, you know, one of the biggest things is, is not to overlook um, the things that you're doing for pleasure. I, I lecture occasionally at universities and, um, you know, inevitably whenever I go in and the students are at that nerve wracking stage in their third year and they've got to pick their, their honours projects and it's like, they I, I was guilty of it at the time, but you put so much pressure on yourself um, to do this amazing thing and, and, and to swamp, you know, swamp yourself with all these crazy numbers of images or whatever it is you're doing. Just think about what, what are you doing tonight? What, what are you doing when you get through the door? Are you watching Game of Thrones? Um, if so, you know, maybe you should do something fantasy. Are you, what are you reading? You know, what are you listening to? Just don't overlook what's already going on in your world. What already, what already drives you and gets you out of bed on the weekends, for example. See if there's a way that you can channel that into your work. And, uh, you know, I think when you're enjoying your subject matter, you learn a lot faster. That is never a true word has been spoken. You've got to enjoy it. And I, I see so many designers that are working in the spare time. You know, I follow a lot of designers and some of the some of the ones that just stand out to me, the guys like Raid 71 and Matt Ferguson, the guys that are doing all the DC and some of the, uh, the, the 2000 AD illustrations, which is right up my street. Mm. They're doing them like 24 seven. They'll be posting things at 2 AM and you're thinking, man, this guy's working at this time. When you look at it, he's not working. He's just loving it. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's just such a good place to be in your life. So yeah, I really buy into that. Super. Let's dive into actionable tip number two then, please, sir. Um, I think a little bit of focus promotion goes a long way. Um, this is what, another big thing. You know, you obviously you can't take the time to spend 20 minutes contacting every single person or you'd never get anything done. But just think about what someone needs, you know, what um, what's going to make their life a bit easier and and let them, and you know, get up there and let them know you can do it for them. Um a little bit of personal love, as we said before. Uh, an example being recently, I sent a book out to one of the Guardian journalists when I when I brought out my book. And, you know, so far I had no joy from any of the national newspapers. All I did, you know, I got the guy's name, sent a little cover letter in the book. But actually, I got I took the time to get my ink brush out and and paint the guy's first name on a nice little original bit of art. Slipped it inside the book. Lo and behold, I get a picture on Instagram with his uh, with his the picture of it on his desk. Absolutely loved it. Um, got along like house on fire, and, and you know I've had my book featured in the Guardian since. So take a little bit of time to show somebody some some, some love. You know, even if it's just asking how the weekend was. I think uh, a little bit of personal treatment and focused, you know, bit of homework it carries a lot of weight. Super stuff. Yeah. Again, again, completely. That's like all I'm doing through this episode is agreeing, but I think it goes so, so far. Just a little bit of personal love, as you say, and actually taking the time to, to know something about someone. I heard a fantastic tip from a great guy in the podcasting world, Mr. Cliff Ravenscraft. And he mentioned that he has, he actually runs a spreadsheet, which includes, I think it's three relatively high level personal details about everyone that he meets and wants to stay in touch with. So the kids' names, the wife's name, favorite sports team. And uh, he, he actually maintains that as a matter of course, and he uses it to keep track of everyone that he wants to work with and that he values the relationship of. And I think it's just an amazing thing to do that. It's, it's a stunning thing. So I, I completely buy into that. And yeah. let's wrap up with the third and final actionable tip. 
Uh, for the third, I'm going to say I'm going to say listen to everyone. I'm going to say you know don't be ignorant. I meet so many people that um, that you know shut shut off to advice from you know crazily. It's off everyone. Some people some people listen to no one, and it's like you know I this I see such an attitude with some people, and I think you always got to listen. You've always got to take notice of what anyone's got to tell you. I've got friends who are bricklayers who've given me golden advice just because they've not spent 60 hours staring at the same piece of work. You know, I think you have to take everything on board, but you know, it's, it's the critical, it's the critical skill that that rejects the bad information and the bad advice. But I really think, you know, there's value in everyone's story. It doesn't have to necessarily be in your field. I just think keep your eyes open and keep your ear to the ground. And, uh, you know, don't be ignorant when someone's got something to tell you. And and I think that comes down to an insecurity thing a lot of the time. You know, the kind of the arrogance which is often overplayed and it's actually the insecurity of am I actually good enough for this? Or, you know, when you especially when you're thinking about something that's a really highly competitive industry, a lot of the time it's well, if I look over the fence, I might see something that I don't like. And it's it's a really odd one that and I again I completely agree. I think you do have to pull your head out of the sand. And actually, you need to further yourself by wanting to continually learn. It's no good just digging in and as you say spending the 60 hours in a studio you've got to look at what other people are doing because you can all help each other i think that's it's a massive lesson you learn pretty quickly you do i mean i, I learn you know i'm i'm um as i mentioned before I'm, I'm a big wrestling fan and people laugh when i say that and i get it you know it, it is cartoony and it's over the top but you know I've, I've been paying a lot of attention to the art of telling a story and things like building anticipation over over months you know to this one big match and it's not different to in business you know it's I, you know, I've been big into building the mystique recently. You know, not just dropping everything in my portfolio at once. Maybe I show a little snippet at the studio. Maybe I'll uh, put a few little, you know, tweets out there just to heighten that anticipation. And you know, you can, I think you can learn from all creative output all around you. And um, you know, I think you just have to soak all that up, and yeah, and it'll generate a lot, a lot of good, uh, good output. Yeah, I love the idea of building the mystique. That's something that I think a lot of business owners can learn. That That is a really, really great point. Ben, that has been such a good chat. I'd like to put a pin in that there and just invite you to tell people where they can connect with you online, please, sir. Well, I'm on Twitter at, at Ben Talon. That's T-A-L-L-O-N. That's all one word. Uh, BenTallon.com is my portfolio website. And you can get my debut book, which is called Champagne and Wax Crayons, Riding the Madness of the Creative Industries. Uh, and that's available on Amazon at selected bookstores, Magma, uh, Waterstones, and Tate Modern, I believe now. Super stuff, sir. What a fantastic, fantastic interview. Thanks so much for doing that, Ben. You're very welcome, mate. Fantastic. Don't forget, guys, everything that myself and Ben have spoken about will be available at excellence-expected.com. We'll put links to everything in the show notes. And listen, whilst you're over on the website, don't forget, if you're struggling with your working hours, perhaps you're working a little bit long, it's summer as we record this, you don't want to be sat behind a desk. You want to be out there with the family, enjoying yourself. Pick up the ebook that I've put together, which is the Essential 14-Day Guide to Cutting Your Working Hours and Increasing Your Impact. It will help you no end. Until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye.